like to start off by asking a question of how do we know if we can trust people? What is it about someone that says, okay, I can trust them or believe them? Um, you know, what if we just met them for the first time? What do you guys have any ideas, feedback? What makes a person trustworthy? Himself bore sins in his body on the cross, 
that we might die in sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So, that's, that's the passage we're here for. What came to mind though was authentic communication. How do we trust people? Um, and I thought of a story uh, you guys may have heard before, but basically there's a type of walker who's performing for a king. And so the type of walker, he goes across this big chasm several times, does a few tricks, the king's pretty impressed, he's alive, he's entertained. Uh, and then the type of walker says, Alright, I have this wheelbarrow. King, do you believe I can make it all the way across holding this wheelbarrow across the world? King says, Yeah, you can do it. He says, Alright, I did it. So that's kind of a, whoa, okay. Did he really believe it? You know, when something was at stake, when he had something to lose, then suddenly, whether or not he believed or whether he said he believed, uh, whether he got in that wheelbarrow really tells us if he really believed that or not. Um, Warren Buffett, uh, he coined a phrase in the financial investing industry, skin in the game, you guys might have heard. Uh, it's, for example, if someone tells you, invest in this, a broker says, buy this stock, do this, a good question would be, have you invested your own money in it? Do they have skin in the game? Do they have a personal stake in whether that stock does well? Or are they just trying to sell you on something? Because if they have all their life savings in that, well, at least they really believe that, uh, that that stock's going to do well. So this concept of skin in the game is something I want to keep coming back to. Um, and so the question of authenticity, believing someone based on do they have skin in the game, um, the question of how do we trust people, I think comes up in a lot of ways when we look at how do we trust God? God says he loves us. You look around at the world, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. There's a lot of hunger, poverty, hatred, discrimination. Uh, people being exploited, and it's easy to look around and be like, really? God loves us? Is this what this looks like? Is this what love looks like? Is allowing all this injustice to go on? It's a, it's a broken system of when people are separated from God's love, it creates a hurt and a brokenness in their own self-image, how they view themselves. There's a, a longing and a brokenness there, and then that reflects how they treat other people and they end up treating other people badly and hurting them. There's a few cycles there. And uh, it creates kind of this whole broken ecosystem. These people create governments and systems that are also inherently flawed and it's kind of this cycle of brokenness and hurt that goes on. And so amidst all of that, we're going to try to look at how do we know or how can we believe God really loves us? So if we're asking that, question that you asked, Logan. It's not, we're not the first people that ask that question. Um, in fact, if you read through the letter of First Peter, it's clear that uh, these were people that had become Christians, and uh, you can imagine, uh, we, we know that it hadn't been probably for a long time, like these people hadn't been Christians for decades, it had been for years. You can imagine they had had, had probably the that early joy of, of coming to faith and this idea of forgiveness and being set free and new creation and all these things that uh, we read about in different parts of the New Testament, this good news has entered their life. But then suddenly, trials have hit them, and it's hitting them, it's hitting them hard. And maybe, maybe trials that uh, are harder than anything else that they've ever faced. And um, 
and some of you may have experienced it like that. You, you became a Christian, like, all right, this is great. Then all of a sudden, you get hit with stuff that's just like, wait a second, you know? Like, I thought I was finally on the right track. Like, I was finally behaving myself or whatever. And then all of a sudden, some really hard things hit your life. And this is pretty clear, clearly what's happened to some of the people that, first, that Peter is writing to in this first letter of his. And so it's natural that they would be probably asking those questions, like, why is this happening? Why, if we're following Jesus, why are we suffering so much? Why am I having to go through this? And so Peter is writing to them about that, about, you know, what is God doing in the midst of this? Can we still, can we know that God has a purpose in this? Now, right in the middle of this discussion is this uh, kind of sobering word, slaves. At least that's in the middle of our text tonight. And um, I want us not, to not forget as we're discussing this that, that who he was writing to in this section were people that were followers of Jesus that were also slaves. And that they were, ex- I mean, they were living in this unjust system. They were already experiencing injustice as a part of their life because someone else owned them. Someone else uh, could tell them what to do. Someone else could decide you know, if they got to eat that, that night or if they wanted to beat them for something that they did. They could do that in that culture. Some of you have seen the movie, um, this movie, anybody recognize this guy? Yeah. Um, it's been her. It's a great classic. Um, and so some of the slaves in Roman culture, I mean, you could be slaves in Caesar's household and have very important roles, but a lot of, a lot of slaves were in positions where, you know, they were in mines, they were chained to the oars and ships and having to row, and, they, you know, life expectancy could be very short for these slaves, and it was, it was nothing because they were property. And, and so Peter is writing to people that are not only experiencing injustice as part of their normal life because they're, they're in a system of brokenness called slavery, but they could also experience injustice just because their master had a bad day and they didn't do anything wrong and then they're getting beat for that. And so he's writing to them about what do you do when you experience injustice after injustice? How do you, how do you live through that? And obviously those questions that Logan is, was asking is probably running through their minds. What does this mean? Um, and it wasn't just slaves that were going through suffering and injustice, but it was, it were, it was the rest of the, the people that he was writing to that were experiencing trials of all sorts of different uh, ways of, 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 being, of suffering. And he, and he makes the connection that this is happening because they've changed their allegiance. They were in a system where Caesar was in charge, Caesar was Lord, now Jesus is Lord, and part of the repercussions of this is that they're having to go through some sort of trial and suffering. Now, ultimately, what Peter says is that the ability of people that are following Jesus to glorify God, the opportunity to glorify God, is more important than temporary circumstances. It's more important than temporary comfort. Another way to say this is that God's mission, what he's trying to do in us and in the world, is more important than comfort. Now that's a, that's a sobering thought. Um, I, I like to be comfortable. I like um, anything to do with comfort. <laughs> comfort food, comfortable seating, comfortable, uh, just comfortable life, air conditioning I like. Um, and, he, and he's saying that sometimes we're going to go through suffering. You know, um, and he's not just saying this to people that are in 
that are in kind of a normal flow of life. He's saying this to slaves that don't have anything, that don't own anything. And he's even saying, I want you to be willing to give up something else. So what a challenge that is to those of us that are not in that sort of system. Um, Submission is what he talks about. Submitting to authority. Submitting in the face of unjust treatment. And isn't that such a backward concept in our culture to, to say that part of the answer to the injustice in our system is sometimes to have to submit. And if he's saying that to, to slaves that are being beaten, I mean, it's, it is something that is very challenging for us to think about. But there's something very subversive about submitting uh, in the face of unjust suffering. There's something that, there's a power that's given. You can imagine that these, these slaves are bearing up under unjust suffering and they're still living with honor. They're still not retaliating. They're still not doing anything that I guess that they they could do. Um, They might get more suffering because of that, but he talks about them bearing up under unfair treatment. And there's something powerful that happens in that. Peter says that by submitting ourselves to those who are in authority over us, even in the face of unjust suffering, it's an opportunity to amplify God's glory and love to those around us. Now, a little bit earlier, uh, Charles was, was leading some, some songs. And if you imagine if he would have been unplugged, if he would have been, just been playing just him and the guitar. And that's just kind of, that's the, the sound that, that Charles would normally produce just with his voice and the guitar. And if you imagine, that's kind of our normal, our, our normal life, the normal life witness that we have available to us. Um, but then when Charles plugs in the guitar, his sound is amplified to a greater degree throughout the room. And one of the things that Peter is saying in this is that suffering can act as an amplifier. It kind of plugs us in so that what we say we're about, the way that we're living our life is now amplified in a greater way. When people look at us, and if, like Logan was saying, we have skin in the game and we're willing to suffer for it, if we're willing to suffer with people that we're caring about, that's going to speak louder than anything else we could say. If we say, oh, we're about this and that, and Logan's going to say more about this in a minute, so I don't want to steal your thunder, but uh, it, that is, when we suffer for what we say we're about, that amplifies our witness. Now, uh, just a few other words, and we're going to hand it back over to Logan. Um, basically, Peter wants to kind of flip the table on this whole idea of suffering. He wants to say, God wants to, to use suffering for good. And God doesn't, God doesn't want there to be injustice. He doesn't want there to be suffering. He's saying, hey, I want you to be agents of peace. I want you to fight against injustice. But the way that you fight, the way that you walk through life and face these things is the way that Jesus did. Jesus submitted himself to those that were in authority all the way to the cross. He suffered under the wrath of humanity all the way to the worst that we could do to him. And through that, he won the victory over death and over sin and over evil. And so those are the, those are the footsteps of Jesus. Verse 21, if you're looking at your Bible, it says this. Christ suffered, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And I imagine like if you're walking down a beach and you see this kind of lone set of footprints and you just imagine trying to kind of step into each footprint as you go forward. You know, 
what a Christian is, is to be is a follower of Jesus, someone that walks in his steps, walks down the road that he went after seeking life. And so part of the, the, the journey, part of the road that Peter's saying it is the life of a Jesus follower leads through times of suffering. And he doesn't say that he doesn't say that God wanted, wants there to be suffering. He doesn't say that that's God's plan is is that he's so happy there's injustice and suffering in the world. No, he's wanting to he's wanting to deal with that, and he is dealing with that. But we can't deal with it. Jesus didn't deal with it by avoiding it. He said you have to kind of walk into it. You have to walk through it. And one of the ways that I think Jesus was able to walk through it, I think that will help us, is that in verse twenty three. He says, it says that Jesus, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. It would be really hard for us to submit to unjust suffering, to walk through suffering, and still love those that cause our suffering, still honor those that cause our suffering, if there was no sense of justice that was ever going to come. But... Jesus entrusted himself to God. He knew that God would make things right. And so that freed him up to walk through that suffering, knowing that justice was coming. It is coming. And I think that that can free us up as well. Uh, When we walk through suffering, when we walk through injustice, and we we bear up under that with honor, and we still love our enemies, we still love those uh, that, that might hurt us, we entrust justice to God and we trust that he's going to make all things right so going back to the question of God says he loves us God says he's going to bring justice God says he'll make everything right how can we believe him what makes him credible what is his skin of the game I believe he put literal skin of the game when he sent Jesus when he sent his own son, I mean, that's, that's pretty significant. That's kind of going all in. That's entering into this broken ecosystem we're part of and saying, I'm part of this, I'm going to suffer with you, I'm going to enter into it. And talking about amplifying love, that's a pretty loud amplifier of, this is how much I love you. Um, I think... When you look at John 3.16, it doesn't say, so God so loved the world that he said, uh, you guys hang in there, we'll all work out at the end, and I'll be up here. It doesn't say, for God so loved the world. Well, you guys kind of got yourself into this mess, so, you know, uh, not a lot of people your hands are kind of tied. But he loved the, so loved the world that he gave his own son, so that anyone that believes in his son has the opportunity to break out of this broken ecosystem that cycle and experience life and healing and love. And so God used love in the midst of suffering as a tool to break this cycle, to combat injustice. When we look at the injustice and, and unjust suffering, um, love is the tool that God used. And his followers are to also love. Ted spoke last time about um, how God is holy and holiness is love. And so as his followers, he said in John that people will recognize his followers by how they love. 
And so we're to follow in God's example in loving other people in the midst of suffering, just like Jesus did. Um, I, I, going back to what do we believe, what do we, what do we, what do we buy into, I'm a person who has personally bought into this idea that God does love me. And I believe that because God put skin in the game. He put something on the line. He didn't just say, oh yeah, I believe, uh, or I, I love you, but he, he sacrificed something and took action and showed it. Uh, and I also believe it because his followers have also put skin in the game. Um, people that I have relationships with. And then even all the way back to is in the mid-second century um, church, Christianity was kind of a uh, a little sect, a small Jewish sect as part of the Roman Empire. And this plague sweeps through. Uh, and lasts about 15 years. And they don't know exactly what the plague was. People think it might have been smallpox. And it ends up killing about a third of the entire Roman Empire. So this is pretty devastating across the empire. And so no one understood how it spread, how to stop it, how to heal it, what to do. A lot of people were leaving and trying to hide. And the Christian church, in the middle of all this, looked at people around them that were dying, that were not part of their family, that were not connected to them, and said, I'm going to love them, I'm going to care for them. I'm gonna, even though I can't maybe heal them, I'm going to enter into that suffering with them. And it was maybe a small step of giving them food and water and trying to care for them. Sometimes they got better. Most of them, probably a lot of them still died. And they would just give them proper burials instead of the bodies being thrown aside like they usually were. And so just small steps like that, I think, are what Mother Teresa talked about when she said, don't look for big things to do. Only do small things with great love. So they're doing those small things with great love. And what happened was, a lot of times, the sickness got transferred to them. And they ended up dying from the disease. Um, and so it was... Uh, it was that talk about suffering and showing love in the midst of suffering and sacrificially that way, but that that level of love, I believe, is what helped propel Christianity from a small Jewish sect into a global movement that we see today, that impacts us today. And so, Peter says, we're to follow in Christ's example in those footsteps. So just as Jesus used suffering and he didn't create the suffering but he entered into it and loved well as part of it as a platform to say hey, God loves you I love you we're also to look at our suffering as a platform of God loves me, God loves you God loves all of us, we're to follow that same example uh, to say that we're being authentic, we really believe this when we suffer and we, or when people treat us unjustly or when bad things happen, we still say, hey, God still loves me. That's saying, I'm not BSing you. I don't really have anything to gain from this. I'm actually, it's pretty tough on me, but it's real. Chris, can you go to the next slide? There we go. So, it's just, uh, I like making slides. I do this for work, so this may resonate or it may not. But uh, looking at the resources we have that are feeding into us, and when people look at our lives, which of these, whenever they are taken away or challenged or hurt, family, money, health, in itself we can suffer whenever we feel like we lose these. Um, 
And then if they're unjustly taken away, that's even harder. Um, if somebody sues us, or someone kills someone from our family, or uh, you know, our career is sabotaged, or someone slanders us in our reputation, those are all pretty hard blows. A lot of times we feel indignant and self-righteous, and this is not fair, this is not right. And so saying that we're going to walk in Jesus' footsteps and love people well, sacrificially, in humility, uh, is, is a pretty tough pill to swallow. But when we look at how we love other people, people look at, okay, they love other people, they have all these things going for them. In the midst of real suffering, because if you go to the next one, you take away all those other things, it really clearly shows the supernatural ability of Christians to love because they've got nothing else. Um, it's almost like the worse the suffering is and their ability to still love in the midst of that, the more powerful that message is. So, Charles talked a little bit earlier about we're part of missional communities. Um, these are groups of us that live in neighborhoods or part of networks that are really trying to reach out to those around us and say that that message of the good news of Jesus breaking that ecosystem. That's what we're trying to communicate to people. And we're going to run into people questioning our motives. Like, what is their agenda here? What are they trying to get at? This doesn't make sense. And so, the, how we respond to suffering affects our message of whether we're a credible message, if we really believe this. So I'd like to finish with asking us two questions. As we view suffering as an opportunity, as a platform, the way that God and Jesus did, ask ourselves, how could my suffering show God's love? When bad stuff happens to me, how can I use that as a platform to communicate and say, God still loves me, and He gives me the supernatural power to still love other people and forgive other people in the midst of that, even if it's unjust. So what ways do we suffer? What ways do you suffer? And how can you use that? And then second, just like Jesus joined into our suffering and we're following his example, how can I join into my neighbor's suffering? Are there people suffering around me? Are there people suffering here in Dallas? How can we enter into that? What does it look like for us to join alongside them? Maybe not fix the problem, uh, maybe not, not uh, really do anything, but just entering into a relationship and suffering with them. Um, what are some examples and opportunities for us to look like that in our neighborhood?